It's good to be with you guys. What a, what a delightful psalm to look at, right? It is um, probably the, the most famous psalm, isn't it? Um, even if you uh, didn't grow up in church, you've heard that psalm before. Um, psalms are important, aren't they? They do a lot for us. They're just as important as like Romans or Hebrews or like books of deep theology. Psalms are uh, just as much God's uh, inspired word that, that teach us a lot. The Psalms teach us a lot, don't they? They teach us how to pray. They teach us how to sing. They teach us what to sing. They teach us how to worship uh, no matter what your circumstances are. So if, if you've come in this morning and you just couldn't be in a deeper pit um, or if you've come in and things just couldn't be going any better for you, uh, the Psalms, uh, all the same, teach us what it means to relate to God and, and how to respond to Him. Um, above all, most importantly, uh, the Psalms teach us who God is. Um, they teach us who God is. Uh, particularly, they teach us who God is to us as, as His people. Um, and God, uh, throughout the Bible, He uses human language, human imagery to describe Himself. Uh, to us, um, and one of his favorite ways to describe himself, as he does in Psalm 23 and throughout the rest of the Bible, is he describes himself as a shepherd, um, which is unusual, especially for the original ancient Near East listeners of this song. That, that would have been surprising because shepherd work is messy. Shepherd work is smelly. You're out in the fields. You're, you're working with the sheep. Uh, they, you, you smell like the sheep. God says, that's what I'm like for you, you, my people. I'm your shepherd. Um, and Jesus even takes up this identity. He takes up this role in John chapter 10. He calls himself the good shepherd. Uh, so he says he's, he's this good shepherd for his people. Uh, we, we are like sheep who hear his voice and, and know his voice. He, he calls and he leads us and he protects us. He lays his life down for us. Uh, he's this good shepherd. Uh, and then even later, uh, when it comes to the church of Jesus, uh, the leaders of his church are meant to be like shepherds. It's almost like God says uh, to the church leaders, I want you to be like me when you're leading my people. Not in the way that I'm a king, not in the way that I'm a ruler, but in the way that I'm a shepherd. I want you to uh, be among the flock, caring for them, protecting them, leading them, smell like them. Um, and, and so that's what the, the, the pastors, the, the elders, the shepherds of, of this congregation are, shepherds uh, of, under the, the, the chief shepherd Jesus. Uh, and, and the goal really is to, to shepherd you in a way that you feel known and cared and loved by God. Okay, that's the goal. So if you were to go away and say, man, I just love being part of Village uh, because I feel so cared for by the leaders there, that would be great. I'm sure Travis and Andrew would be delighted to hear that. But that's not the goal. The goal is for, for you to go away and say, I love being part of Village because I feel so cared for by God. I feel so known by Him and loved by Him. Um, that's the goal, to shepherd you in a way, a lowly kind of way, because that's the way shepherds lead, not in a lofty kind of way, to shepherd you in a way that you turn around and say, I feel so shepherded by God, I feel so known by Him and loved and cared for by Him. Um, so the goal is for you to experience Psalm 23 as your own, for you to be able to sing that song as your own experience, that you be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, let me pray first one more time and we'll look closer at Psalm 23. Um, Father, we just thank you that, that you are a shepherd uh, for us, your people. Um, I just pray for the, the souls in this room, Lord, that they would uh, know that this morning. 
that they would experience you as a shepherd. Um, Show us what that means this morning, Lord. Um, We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work, that you would be teaching us. Um, Do what only you can do this morning, we pray. Amen. Um, In order to fully understand Psalm 23, uh, it's it's important to know who the singers of the song are, okay? And, And there's really three main singers that I want you to have in your mind as we make our way through Psalm 23. Three people, three groups that, that sing this song as their own, as their experience. Uh, the first one is King David, obviously. He's the one who, who, who put the pen down on the paper uh, for Psalm 23. David is, is the king of Israel. Okay? He's, he's the most famous king Israel's ever had. And so we need to understand David's original context as the Holy, Holy Spirit-inspired writer of this psalm. He's the first singer. Um, The the second uh, person to sing this song as their very own is the one who the psalm is really about, and that's another king, Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the the, the true and ultimate singer of this song. Uh, So remember King David, although he was Israel's most famous, well-known king, he was just a foreshadow of a greater king to come, the the king of kings, the the Messiah, Jesus. He, He pointed toward Jesus. And so David, as the king singing this, he gives us the original context, uh, but, but Jesus, as the king singing this, as he would have, uh, he gives us the, the fulfillment context. So Jesus fulfills this psalm perfectly. Um, I'll try to explain that as we go along. But because Jesus fulfills this psalm perfectly, uh, when we are in him, when, when, when our faith is in him, we then get to become the third person, the third group, to actually sing this song as our own. Um, so remember that the, 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 the person singing the song is, is the king, King David, then King Jesus. Um, in Jesus, the song becomes ours. So what does a king do? The, the king is there to represent the people, right? The, the, the king represents the people. And so the God who shepherds the king here is also the shepherd of the people, um, the, the king's experience becomes our experience as he represents us. Hopefully that will make more sense as we move along. But I want you to have those kind of three singers of the psalm in your mind in order to fully understand Psalm 23, okay? So the goal, though, is for you to know God as your shepherd, for you to be able to sing Psalm 23 as your own. And so Psalm 23 is very important because it helps answer that question, what does it mean for God to be my shepherd? This, 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 this psalm that you've heard probably your whole life, what does it mean for him to be your shepherd? What does that experience look like? And so there's three things uh, that Psalm 23 shows us about that, at least, that we'll look at. Um, the first thing that we see is it means he is leading me. He is leading me. He's leading you. He's leading us, okay? There's, 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 it's, it's individual, but it's also corporate. It's also communal. But God as shepherd means he is leading me. Read verses 1 to 3 again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he's leading me. He's leading us. Um, And one thing you obviously see in his leadership here is, do you notice how intimate it is? Um, it's communal, there's a, there's a corporate concern there, uh, but this is David the king singing, representing the, the greater people, but the king's experience becomes our experience, but David, for him, it's a very intimate, personal psalm. He says, the Lord is, is my shepherd. 
He's mine. And do you notice the, the, the confidence that David has when he's thinking about who the Lord is to him? He's thinking about someone who is completely devoted to him. He's thinking about someone who is personally devoted to him. He, he is my shepherd. You see how intimate that, that language is? He's using personal possessive pronouns, which is really hard to say. But, but using personal possessive pronouns, you can only do that with very specific kinds of people, right? And you can't use that kind of language with just anyone. Um, that, that kind of language can only be used with people who you are personally intimate with. You can't just kind of throw those phrases around. She's mine. He's mine. I can't just say that about anyone. I can say that about my wife, right? She's my Jenny. Um, I can say that because, because we have a personal, intimate relationship that I don't have with anyone else, right? I, I, it'd be weird if I said that about any of you. Um, I can say that about my son. He, he's my Abraham. He's, he's my boy. Not in an oppressive kind of ownership way, but in an intimate kind of way. He's, he's mine. I would do anything for him. I love him. I care for him in a way that I just can't care and love for other kids in that kind of way. There are a few people in our lives that we have that, that intimate assumption between that we belong to one another. I'm theirs and they're mine. And that's what David's saying here. The Lord is, is my shepherd. He's mine and I'm his. Let me ask you, in, in the Lord's leading in your life, uh, do you experience that? Do, do, you, do you know that? Have you experienced that kind of intimacy with him? that he is intimately and personally committed to giving himself to you? Do you have that kind of relationship with him? When's the last time you sensed that level of intimacy with the Lord? He's mine. I'm his. And I know kind of giving in and leaning into that kind of intimacy with God can be tricky for people for various reasons. And there's, uh, I think there's, Two kind of general uh, reasons for that. Um, on one hand, some people are just a little bit stiff, a little bit maybe macho even. Um, you, you feel weird about that kind of intimacy with God, that he's mine kind of language. Um, in that case, you tend to have a skewed view of yourself, okay? So, so what you need to understand is that in that relationship, you are the sheep, you, you, are, you, are the, you are the sheep, you're not the shepherd, okay? You're not the, the wise one, you're not the one leading, you're not the one in command. You, you are the sheep who needs to be led. You're a sheep that, that, that goes astray, that, that sometimes needs to be picked up into the arms of the shepherd and, and brought back to safety. That, that's, that's who you are. You, you desperately need that intimate, loving care of God as your shepherd. So in that sense, we need to soften up our image of ourselves, right? We need to humble ourselves. We need to recognize our need of a tender, intimate, caring shepherd. And some of us, on the other hand, um, find this difficult, this kind of intimacy with God be, because of a past experience with shepherds in your life. So some of you have maybe have a, a bad experience with, 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 with flawed fathers or, or bad pastors. Um, in, in this case, you tend to have a skewed view of God um, listen, if this is the, the, the scenario for you, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that you've had a hurtful experience with earthly shepherds in your life. But let me beg you not to let that past experience 
get in your way of experiencing the, the intimacy of loving care with the good shepherd. And so in this case, you might need to correct your view of God as shepherd. Um, and the way that we do that is we go to the scriptures and we, we see how God shepherds his flock. And when you do that, you see that he does it perfectly and he does it lovingly. And um, you see, when he, when he makes a promise, he, he is always faithful to keep it. Um, he, he's perfectly good in his leading, in his shepherding. The suggestion for, for both kinds of people is is to just start to kind of practice it. Just, just start to kind of lean into that and be open uh, to God's intimacy. Maybe the next time you pray, uh, the next time you're sitting with your Bible open, uh, maybe just say quietly out loud to God, I'm yours. I'm yours. And, and then you can imagine him saying, except you don't have to imagine it because you, you see it happen, you see it proved in the life of Jesus, but imagine him saying back, I'm yours. I'm yours. Because he, as your shepherd, is, is actually perfectly committed to you. It's, it's not just your imagination. Uh, because you know what it, it means to say, I'm yours, to someone? It's costly to say that. It's, in, it's incredibly costly. Um, I've had uh, the pleasure of doing a couple weddings uh, in the last month, um, and this is what is on display in a wedding, is, is two people standing in front of each other, holding hands, looking at each other, and saying before God and before a group of witnesses, I'm yours. Like, no matter what happens, no matter what comes from here on out, I'm yours. And it's an incredibly, beautifully costly thing to witness, isn't it? It's an incredibly costly thing to say, because it means I'm giving a, up a lot for you. I'm giving up a, a, a lot of my personal comfort. I'm giving up a lot of choices. I'm giving up a lot of my preferences to give myself to you. Saying yours assumes a sacrificial posture towards someone, doesn't it? And when God says, I'm yours, that cost him something. It actually led him all the way to the cross. That was Jesus ultimately saying, I'm yours. And so when we say to God, well, I am yours, it's a costly thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's kind of terrifying to say that because it, it has to assume a sacrificial posture. It means I'm giving up my preferences to how I'll use my money from here on out. I'll give my, up my preferences to how I'll use my body, to how I'll use my work, life, my work life. I'm no longer my own. I'm his. He is mine. You see that, that deep intimacy here. The Lord is my shepherd. Um, where is he leading? Um, there, there's an intimacy there, but he's intimately leading us somewhere. Where is he leading? Well, David says he's leading us to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. That word still, it means a resting place. It means quietness. He leads to green pastures to, to quiet waters. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Um, sounds restorative. And remember where David is writing from. He's not writing from Northern Ireland. We live in a place where you can go out, get in your car and drive for a couple minutes and you're in green pastures. You're in rolling hills. Everything's wet, right? That's not where David is. David, David lives in the eastern, near eastern world where it's dry and, and it's, it's arid. And this summer, uh, our family flew to Portugal, and uh, my daughter Ida 
She's, she's never remembers leaving Ireland before, and we're flying in, we're going to the land, I'm sitting next to her, she's looking out the window, I'm like, what do you think? And she's like, it's very brown. <laughs> um, where's, where's the green? And, and that's, in, that's where David, David's in Israel, it's even more dry, it's even more arid. That, that the lush green pasture that he's, he's speaking of here, you've got to search for that. It's, it's a place that you, that you long for. It's, it's, it's a mystery where that is, and you have to search it out. Here's what David is saying. He's saying the normal human experience is a desert-like experience. There's a, there's a kind of danger that's normal to our experience. There's, there's a kind of longing for comfort. There's a needing of safety. There's a longing for relief, right? We all feel that. David's saying that the, the experience of God's leadership in your life is regularly bringing your soul to a place of abundance and rest and safety. What does he say? He says, he restores my soul. Don't you want that? He restores my soul. That, that word literally means to return. It's this retrieval. It's a, it's a revival. It, it's a picture of a wayward lost sheep, isn't it? And it's, 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 it's wandering, it's hungry, it's thirsty, it's confused. But the shepherd is the one who retrieves and, and revives the sheep. But here David is, is talking about his soul, the, the wandering, hungry, thirsty, confused, wayward soul. The Lord retrieves it and revives it. He restores it. He leads him to green pastures, to still quiet waters, the place of plenty. Remember who is writing this. This is David, who is the king. Um, he's, he's the most famous person in Israel. He's, he's the most powerful man in Israel. He's the leader of a great army. He's busy. He, he's got a lot of things to do, a nation to lead. Um, David's not some escapist who just wants to go out and, into the wilderness and, and contemplate being restored all the time. Okay? Don't think of Ferdinand the bull who just wants to go sit under the cork tree and smell the flowers while all the bulls are fighting around him. That's not who David is. He's, he's a busy, important man. But, but here's the thing for him, even in the busyness, he is shepherded by God in such a way that he is a, a, restful, a restful, quiet soul. And read David's story, there are countless times in his life where he is troubled, where he is disappointed, where he is wounded, where he fails, he's lost, he's lonely, he's confused. Can you relate to David in any way? You're lost, you're wounded, you're lonely, you're hurt, but the shepherd of his soul retrieves, revives, and restores like being brought to green pastures and to still quiet waters. I think this is one of the most countercultural things that this church can do, is to, to go and be your ordinary selves, okay? Go be teachers, go be doctors, go be pharmacists, go be artists and baristas, stay-at-home parents. Those people who, who are out there, they're busy, they're, they're hard at work. But those things aren't the shepherd of your soul. It, rather, we are people who say, the Lord is my shepherd. He is the, the shepherd of my soul. That kind of living in this world is countercultural. It's different. People look in and say, those people are, 
very ordinary in a way, but they have a quiet and a restful soul. They have this non-anxious presence in this very anxious world. So how do you follow a shepherd like that? How, how do you do it? Because this is the kind of life that I want. Um, I'm sure you do too. So how do you follow a shepherd like this? And a couple things you learn from David is, firstly, you have to have confidence in the shepherd. You have to have confidence that the shepherd knows the way, that he is capable of leading you. Um, what do we do, though? We tend to think that we know the way, right? Because that's what sheep do. They, they, they go off. They, they wander. They get confused. They get tired. They thought they knew the way. And we tend to be like, we tend to think, right, if I can just get to this position in my life, then I won't want anymore. If, if I can just get to this level of income, this type of job, this relationship, this, this house, then I won't want anymore. And listen, if you want to know who or what the shepherd of your life is, what you believe and you think is going to be with you until the end, it's what you think, if I can just get this, then I won't want anymore. That's the shepherd of your soul. That's your shepherd. Um, that, what, what is it that you think, if I could just get this, then I won't want anymore. That's your shepherd. Um, let me tell you, your work makes for a bad shepherd of your soul. Um, your, 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 your spouse, your significant other, makes for a really bad shepherd of your soul. Um, kids make for a bad shepherd of your soul. Stuff, clothes, and houses, or whatever, make for bad shepherds of your soul. Those things make for anti-Psalm 23s, right? Like, just fill in the blank. My whatever is the shepherd of my soul, I'm always wanting. My work is my shepherd. My image is my shepherd. My comfort is my shepherd. My money is my shepherd. I'm always wanting. I'm, I'm on my own. I'm the one who has to look out for my own needs. No one is truly looking after me. I'm easily frustrated. I'm often disappointed. I'm always thirsty. I'm ever anxious. I'm never satisfied. Always hungry, but never filled. And if I were to lose, fill in the blank, if I was to lose my money, if I was to lose my job, if I was to lose my looks, lose that relationship, lose my skills, then I would truly be lost. Can you say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't want because I have everything that I want. I, I, I don't want because I have the shepherd in my life. I have the shepherd. Can you say that with confidence? Um, so you have to have confidence in the shepherd and who he is. The other thing you need in order to follow him is you need regular times of stillness and quiet listening. Quiet listening and stillness of heart before the Lord. And because here's the thing about following God, about having a relationship with him, it, it's an, there's an art to it. Like that's what relationships are. Relationships are art. They're not science. They're, they're, they're art. They're uh, Jazz, they're, they're, not, they're not science, they're not a formula. It's not, hey, do these things, follow these signs, follow these steps, and then the relationship will be great. Um, that's not how relationships are. It's, it's an art. Um, it's, there's, there's not a method. It's, it's just sitting quietly with your Bible open sometimes. 
It's just being okay with awkward quietness in the moment. It's, it's fighting that urge to, to check your phone. Fighting that urge to just put one more thing on my to-do list. And just listen to God and, and be with Him. It's opening your heart before God's Word and asking yourself questions like, where am I not following God? When's the last time you, you seriously asked yourselves those kinds of questions? Asking questions like, where is my heart disbelieving? What, what's causing me to continue to stumble and to go wayward? Where do I need help? Where do I need to confess? Where do I need healing and comfort? Where are you leading me, Lord? He's leading me. That's the first thing about the psalm. First thing about God as your shepherd is he is leading me. The second thing is he is present with me. He is present with me. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Uh, So this section tells us what it means to have God as your shepherd. Uh, The first section says God as your shepherd means he is leading you. He is leading you to green pastures, to still waters, to to restoring our souls. Verse 4 makes it clear, however, that the pathway to those green pastures is the road of suffering. It takes the king here through the darkest valley, through the valley of the shadow of death. Yet even here, as King David goes into this dark valley, and think again as King Jesus goes through that darkest valley to the cross, verse 4 says, he need ultimately fear no evil. So there's this confidence again. There's no need to fear or dread evil. And David says the reason he needs not fear is because not only does he have a shepherd who leads him, he has a shepherd who is present with him in the darkness. He is present with me. So think again of the three singers of the song. David as the king walks through the valley of the shadow of death, but he fears not evil because God is with him. His rod and his crook protect him and comfort him and guide him. Jesus, as our king, ultimately walks through the darkest valley to the cross on our behalf. And he's able to do that because he trusts his father. He trusts his shepherd. And we, with Jesus as our king, as our shepherd, we too are called to enter into the shadow of death. We too walk through that valley in small ways sometimes, in trials and and sickness And even deeper ways as we face death itself. Yet even in that darkest trial, even when when death seems to cover our soul, like the darkness is, is so thick that there seems to be no hope, even there we may trust Jesus, the King who walks first through the darkness of death, but who is now our good shepherd. We can trust Him and we can fear not evil. Why? Because he walked the valley before us, because he leads us, because he knows the way to the green pastures, but more than that, because he is present with us in the darkness. He walks with us. Do you see the confidence here because of the presence of the shepherd? Um, Notice how David describes this presence, and what does he tell us it's like having the presence of the shepherd with him in the darkness? This is like feasting. It's a banquet. 
You see that feasting language? You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. That's incredible, isn't it? David says the experience of walking through that dark valley of death with God by his side, it's like a feast. It's like a banquet that God has invited you to and is hosting himself. It's a feast. Have you ever been to a really great feast? Love a good dinner. Love a good feast, like where the table is prepared, uh, the, the, the joy around the table, the, 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 food, the, the, the food is succulent, the, the wine is beautiful and plenty. The, the experience of that is satisfied taste buds, right? The, the joy of company around the table, the food, the wine, the love. This feast, David says, is the normal way to experience God's presence with you, even in the darkest valley. Do you know that? Do you experience that? Don't you long for that kind of satisfaction? And in our corporate times of gathering, uh, to, to experience that kind of satisfaction, that kind of feast, but, but also in our, in our quietness, in our still quiet times, our personal times of solitude and prayer. Don't you long for his presence to stimulate, and to satisfy the taste buds of your soul, the way that a feast stimulates and satisfies the taste buds of your tongue? Don't you want that? What's really interesting is is when he's experiencing the feast, he says, it's when I'm in the presence of my enemies. And most Bible scholars agree this is a wartime psalm. It's it's not a peacetime psalm. And you hear it in in the lyrics, right? He has to prepare for death. He's walking through the shadow of death. He needs this rod and this staff to protect him, to comfort him. His enemies are encircling around him. This doesn't seem to be a peacetime psalm. And here's what everyone knows about wartime. There's no feasting in wartime. There's, there's rations in wartime. You, you, things are scarce. You, you eat on the run during wartime. Feasting is slow. Feasting is relaxing. It's joyful. It's not what you do in wartime. So verse 5 is basically a victory meal before the war is over. This this is a feast in the middle of the trouble. (laughs) So what is David talking about? What's What's happening here? David is living as if the reality of the eternal joy and pleasure and feasting in the presence of God is greater than the reality of his current trouble. He's living as if the reality of having God's presence is far greater than the reality of his current trouble. He doesn't ignore the trouble. He's there, he's in the presence of it, but having God's presence is greater. It's sweeter. And I think there's probably pretty good evidence that David probably struggled with anxiety. Um, He wrote half of the book of the Psalms. Um, There's probably few people in the Bible that you can peer into the depths of their soul more than David And you see him deal over and over again with anxiety, with fear. And over and over again in his Psalms, as he does here in Psalm 23, he takes an opportunity to preach to himself. He takes this moment to remind himself that the reality of having God's presence with him and the joy and the comfort and the security that comes with that is far greater than the reality of his anxieties and fears. It's profound, isn't it? So David's he's learned where to go when, tr- when trouble comes. 
Trouble does come. Over and over it comes. But he doesn't look for ways to, to cover his trouble up. He doesn't try to numb his fear. He doesn't try to numb his anxiety. He doesn't go after cheap comforts. Instead, he takes his trouble into the presence of God. He takes it there because he knows that's the only place to find healing. That's the only place where his soul is truly restored and truly comforted. If he numbs it, it's always going to be there. Um, But he knows in the presence, when he dwells in the presence of the Lord, that's where healing happens. That's where comfort is found. He's learned to remind himself that even when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is with him. Do you see the contrast that is happening here? The contrast between the green pastures, the still waters. It's a beautiful place. Uh, There's comfort there. There's company there. And then there's this walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Stark contrast. Um, I've been reading through uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, and you have that contrast of the Shire. It's lush. uh, It's... There's gardens, there's coziness, there's fires, there's comfort, there's dinner parties, there's joy. And then you have the journey to Mordor, um, walking through the shadows of death. The dead marshes outside Mordor, filled with mists and death. And here's the thing about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's lonely. It's incredibly lonely. And that's what it was like for, for Frodo, poor Frodo, it's a lonely journey. He's, he's supported at times with a, a fellowship, a company of people, right? And even when he, he only has one companion, Sam, it's still heavier. It's still a lonelier journey for Frodo. No one quite, know, doesn't, no one quite knows what it's like for him. He has a heaviness that no one else can bear. Sam watches him closely, right? Sam is, is incredibly important to the success of the journey, He's this loving and caring friend, but even he doesn't quite know the heaviness, the loneliness. That's what it's like in real life. I'll tell you that's what it's like. In the deepest, darkest valleys, man, you need the comfort of your community. You need that close friend to get through, but it's still lonely. There's still a darkness and loneliness that no one else can know. The valley of the shadow of death, it's a solitary walk. But David knows that even there, God is present. He comes with you. There's there's a limit to how close and intimate others can get. There is, but David knows there's no limits to the closeness and the intimacy of God. He, He leads you through the shadow. He shepherds you along the way. He's with you. He's present with you in the valley of death. Because that's the goal. The goal of verse 6 The goal of the entire psalm is, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The the Lord hosts the feasts in the midst of trouble. He's a companion in my death. He welcomes me into the dwelling place forever. I have a dwelling place with God. That's the most literal translation of of verse 6. I have a dwelling place in God's dwelling place. Again, do you see the the confidence that David has when he says that? He's saying, I have a room in Buckingham Palace. I I have a key to the door. I'm not a a, a visitor. That that, that kind of confidence is incredible. But it's it's more than that. He says, I dwell in the house of Yahweh. 
the eternal God. I'm at home with him. I'm not a stranger. I'm not a sojourner. I'm not a visitor. I'm at home there. Church, you are a, you're a sojourner here on earth. You're a visitor here. It's awkward. It's, this is not your dwelling place. You are not a sojourner in the house of God. This is one of the, those kind of incredible New Testament truths that's hard to wrap our minds around, isn't it? That there is something to experience in the full, in the coming of age, but it's also true now. Like that you're journeying here, but even now, even in the darkest valleys, you have a dwelling place. You have a home with God. And do you experience your life with God that way? Like when you pray to him, when you come to him in times of trouble, do you do that as a visitor? Do you do that as a, as a, as a sojourner? Do you, when you come to him, do you, do you kind of uh, awkwardly drop your request there and, and hope he, he sees it and, and responds and then kind of scamper off? Like you don't really belong there. You feel like a visitor hoping he'll help you. Is that what your relationship with God is like? When you're praying, do you feel like a visitor or do you feel at home? When you're praying, when you're crying out, do you feel, this is where I belong. This is my home. Or do you feel like a visitor? And the work of Christ on the cross is so that you may experience the presence of God, not as a visitor, not as a sojourner, but as a dweller. As a, as a child of God, as a beloved child, as one who belongs. Um, listen, if you feel like a visitor when you come to God, and if you feel like you don't belong, maybe, you've, maybe it's been a long time since you've come to him feeling like you belong. Maybe you've never even dreamed uh, of feeling that way. Let me beg you, don't ignore that. Um, don't, don't kind of push that feeling aside and, and just hope that you'll maybe get over it someday. Um, address that. Talk to someone about that. Um, talk with maybe someone you're sitting next to. Today is the day that you no longer have to feel like a sojourner. You have to live and believe that you're a visitor in the presence of God. Christ died so that you may never experience that. Christ died on the cross in your place so that you can be called a friend of God, a beloved child, no longer a stranger and an alien, but a, a member of his household. Jesus walked through the darkest valley of death in order to bring you in, in order to make it possible for you to share in that confidence with David that I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, and lastly, I'm wrapping up here. He's leading me. He's, he, he is with me. He's present here. But lastly, we see he is following me. He, he's following me. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Do you see the progression of this psalm? At, at one point, the shepherd is leading me. Um, he, he's, he's ahead of me. He's before me, guiding me to green pastures. And then he is with me. He's present with me in the dark valley. But now he is following me. He's behind me, following me home with goodness and mercy. Um, it's one of my favorite old Irish prayers of Patrick, Okay. That, that prayer where he is reflecting the presence of Christ in the life of a Christian. And he says, Christ is with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit. Christ when I stand. Christ with me now and always. 
That's what David is saying. The shepherd is before me. The shepherd is beside me. The shepherd is following me. He's behind me. That, that language of, of goodness and mercy following me all the days, it's so special. It, 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 that word follow literally means to pursue. It's, it's literally to chase after. So it's not this like just kind of coming after you. It's more aggressive than that. It's pursuing you. It's chasing you down. He's saying the Lord's goodness and his mercy will chase you down. You cannot escape it. It's the image of sheepdogs, right? There, there's, there go goodness and mercy chasing after the sheep again. The goodness and the mercy of God chase him down and follow after him. That's the goodness of the shepherd. That, that word mercy, it's a special word. It, it, it literally means the, the covenant steadfast love of God. So the goodness and the covenant steadfast love of God is David's to enjoy in the fellowship with God as his father forever and ever. It's what he most desires. This is what David wants most. This is what even if you, whether you know it or not, this is what your soul cries out for. This is what you desire most is that we would enjoy forever this life in the house of the Lord. In the house of the Lord, he will, he will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And when his following, uh, and, when, and, and when this following after becomes uh, most beautiful is when we look at it in the good shepherd, in the incarnation of Jesus, isn't it? Like when he chased you down with his goodness and his mercy, his steadfast love. Um, that's when it's most beautiful because uh, it's, if we're honest, it's kind of hard to relate to God as a shepherd. In some way, that in our minds, that God is shepherd, that analogy kind of breaks down eventually, right? Because shepherds are lowly. Shepherds are, are it's dirty work. Shepherds smell like sheep. And God is transcendent, right? He's high. He's, he's holy. He's lifted up. Like, sure, he may be good. Sure, he may have this steadfast love for us, but he's far off. He doesn't smell like sheep. Until he does, right? By the Son of God who came down to smell like sheep. He was the one who came to pursue us at our level. He was the good shepherd who, who laid his life down for the sheep. He himself becomes the Lamb of God who is slain to take away the sins of the world. He left the eternal glories of heaven to pursue you, to enter into your darkness follow you with goodness and steadfast love. He is the good shepherd who became the sacrificial lamb so that for the rest of your life, what follows you is even in your trouble, even in your pain, even through that darkest valley of death, what follows you is only his goodness and his mercy that will chase you down and only that will have the final say in the end. This is what it means to have God as your shepherd. It's what it means for him to shepherd this church that God is leading us. He is, he is leading you to green pastures, to still quiet waters. He's restoring your soul. He is where healing and retrieving and re, uh, reviving of your soul happens. And it means God is present with you. He's present with us, even in the midst of trouble. And it's experienced like a feast. Isn't that amazing? The way that Wine and food satisfy the taste buds of your tongue. His presence and the joy and the comfort that comes with his presence stimulates and satisfies the taste buds of your soul. And he is following you. He is chasing after you with goodness and mercy for the rest of your life. 
I want to experience that in my life. Don't you? I want that kind of shepherd, that kind of experience of having that kind of shepherd. And my, my prayer uh, for our church, Village East, Village South, is a sense of that. Of God shepherding and caring and leading and walking with us, following us for the rest of your life. And you know what? Everything else comes from that. Everything else should flow from that, right? We've done family traits, this gospel community mission, all this stuff that kind of flows from that. When, when you know God is your shepherd, when you're abiding in his presence and his goodness and enjoying his presence, what comes from that is deep community, deep love for others. Not just love for Jesus and love for your brothers and sisters, but, but love that flows out into your neighborhoods, into your cities. And all of those things, though, without knowing God is your shepherd, will wear you down. They will. All of, that, all of that work will become hard, and it will become frustrating, and it will wear you out. So it's important that you first know God is your shepherd, that, that you know his leading, his caring, him with you, him following after us, okay? And and Lord, we just want to come before you uh, with humble thanksgiving. And Lord, we want to uh, just humbly confess again that we uh, forget we are even sheep. And we often put our, ourselves in the place of, of the shepherd, thinking we know the our souls. If only we could get this, Lord. Um, uh, Lord, help us there. Um, give us a humility and to, to remember that we are lowly sheep who often go astray, who don't know the way who are wholly dependent on a good shepherd uh, to lead us, and to protect us, to comfort us, to pick us up and, and bring us along. And we just say thank you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness uh, to us. And we thank you for your steadfast love and your goodness that, that truly does follow us, chases after us, what defines us. We thank you that you are with us, Lord. Um, may we know that. May we experience that, the sweetness of that, that feast of being in your presence. And when things get hard, and when we get disappointed, even, in, even with church, wish it was like this. I wish they didn't say that. Lord, may we uh, be fully drawn into to knowing your presence with us.